Good morning. He is risen. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and take it out and find Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Colossians 2, verse 6. Today, we are celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of his work as the Son of God incarnate is indispensable to our salvation. His conception, being born of a virgin, his sinless life, his death on a cross, his burial, his descent into the dead, his ascension, his reign as king over all his return. But today we remember particularly the fact that he rose from the grave and the tomb is empty. This morning, our text in Colossians chapter 2 invites us to think about our lives in light of the resurrection. So the title of our message this morning is Resurrection Gifts. What are the things that you and I are afforded by the work of Christ, particularly proven by the resurrection? Having been raised from death, Jesus raises us from death to new life. So look at verse 6 of Colossians chapter 2. Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, these two verses, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, are the linchpin of the whole letter. It's the climax of the whole letter. Paul wants the church, he wants you and me to live out our new lives in Christ with Christ as Lord, rooted in the faith, praising and thanking God in all that we do. This is the life of a Christian, that we might walk under the authority of the risen Christ. And it's ours. It's our life to live because Jesus has conquered death. It's our life to live because of the resurrection. So today, I want us to keep reading through Colossians 2 and uncover how this work is applied to us, what kind of gifts are given to us, and how does the work of Christ for us lead us to live transformed lives as followers of Jesus. So let's look Verses 8 through 10. Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's pray before we go any further. Father in heaven, we are so grateful. We are filled with joy when we think about the importance of this day. On Resurrection Sunday, we rejoice and worship the Savior who died and rose again. So Father, we thank you for sending your Son to be our substitute, to live out a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death, but to raise from the dead and conquer death. We pray that your Holy Spirit now will open our eyes so that we might behold the glories of Jesus and the gifts that he gives us through the resurrection. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're going to look at all of the gifts, or not all, but some of the gifts that we receive by virtue of Jesus' resurrection. We'll see quite a few of them here in this 
text in Colossians 2 this morning. So if you're taking notes, uh, the first set of gifts are these. Number one, we have the mind of Christ and union with Christ. We have the mind of Christ and union with Christ. Similar to our message last week from 1 Corinthians 2, Paul mentions philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition here in verse 8. This again is Paul's way of talking about the wisdom of the world, the influence that the things of earth have on us, the promises that the world will seek to entice us with, the stories that the world seeks to win us over with. He also mentions the elemental spirits of the world. These are spiritual forces that lead the world into greater strife with God. These are demonic forces, satanic forces, elemental spirits who lead the world away from God. There are two things opposed to teaching according to Christ in verse 8. Sinful human tradition and spiritual evil. So you look at verse 8 again. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. These are at odds with one another. Human tradition here does not mean the world in general. So let's just be clear. There are things about the world that you and I can rejoice in, right? Like the fact that we have... Uh, air conditioning, that is a gift of civilization that God has, give, has seen fit to give us by His common grace, right? The fact that we have medicine and hospitals and triage and the ability to be healed of our wounds is a result of God's common grace. That's one of the glories of this civilization. The fact that we have liberty and freedom to, to worship in this culture, in this country in particular, is a sign of God's common grace, Human tradition in this passage doesn't mean those things in general. What's in view here is philosophy and empty deceit, is this human tradition that led to things like the Tower of Babel, a kind of philosophy about the world, a philosophy about ourselves that proclaims that we do not need God. He might exist, He might not, but we don't need Him anyway. These are teachings that argue that Jesus was perhaps only a good teacher or maybe even a myth and not even historically real at all. Those things are in opposition to the teaching according to Christ. That's that in Him, look at verse 9, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is fully divine, fully human. He is the Son of God incarnate. And we, the text says, have been filled in Him. He's the head of all rule and authority. He's the head of the body, the church. In other words, when you and I enter into uh, a relationship with Jesus by faith, we are entered into union with Christ. We become members of His body. And when we become members of His body, we are intimately connected to His mind. If he is the head of the body, if he has all authority over the body, and we are members of that body, we have access to the mind of Christ. And we learned about that last week even more from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You and I are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and because we have the Spirit, we have access to the mind of God, the mind of Christ. And when we receive the mind of Christ, when we follow our, uh, the, the leadership of the Lord Jesus by the mind of Christ, it leads us away from false teaching away from the philosophies of the world, these human traditions, away from the elemental spirits of the world, 
And it leads us to the truth. These are incredible blessings that you and I receive by virtue of Christ's resurrection. Instead of being kidnapped by the sinful thoughts and ideas of the world or the wicked intentions of the devil and his demons, we can have the mind of Christ and know truth from error resting in the union that we now enjoy with Jesus. He fills us. He empowers us. He rules over us. He leads us. We have the mind of Christ. We have union with Christ. And that's proven. That's afforded to us because He conquered sin, hell, and the grave. He rose from the dead and offers life to all who would come to Him in faith. So we have the mind of Christ and union with Christ. These are two huge resurrection gifts, but it goes on. The text continues. Number two, we have regenerated hearts and the baptism of the Spirit. Number two, we have regenerated hearts and the baptism of the Spirit. Not only do we enjoy union with Christ, not only do we have access to the mind of Christ, but because of Christ's work exemplified in this resurrection, we now have new hearts, regenerated hearts, living hearts, and the baptism of the Spirit. We've been cleansed by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 11. He says, In Him also... You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Let's stop there. So remember, this morning, we're talking about living the Christian life in light of the resurrection of Jesus. How do we continue to walk in Him? As Paul says in verse 6, we live out a resurrected life. Because of Jesus' work, we're we're given blessings and gifts that empower us to actually walk in Him. And one of the gifts that we receive to walk in Him is regenerated hearts. Verse 11 talks about the circumcision of the heart. This physical sign of entering into the old covenant was circumcision. You think about the times of Abraham and Moses. And without getting into any more detail, the the fact remains that those who were in the old covenant, through the, the practice of circumcision, they were marked. They were noticeably, visibly marked. And it looked forward to the Spirit's work in their heart. I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, we hear we hear prophets talking about a circumcision of the heart. That it's not circumcision of the flesh that saves you, but a new heart. The Spirit can work to remove hearts of stone, remove dead flesh, and replace it with life. And this is how one is a true follower of God. Listen to Romans 2. You don't have to turn there, but this is Romans 2, verses 28 and 29. Paul says to the Romans, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. In other words, the Spirit has to work to bring us to life. And this work of the Spirit is the work of regeneration. We now have new hearts that are marked 
by God. We have life instead of death, all because the work of Christ and the love of God has been applied to us by the Spirit. So because of Christ's resurrection, because of his completion of his work on earth, because of his uh, ability to stand in our place and serve as our substitute and then conquer death, we now have, by the Holy Spirit of God, new hearts. We've been regenerated. We've been brought to life. But there's more. Paul says that we were buried with Christ in baptism and raised to life with him through faith. Now, I don't think Paul is talking about water baptism in this, in this verse. So if we're, if, we're, if we're not careful, we can read the New Testament and think every time the word baptism is used, we're talking about baptism with water. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I mean, John, uh, John the Baptist says of Jesus, uh, he says, I baptize with water, but the one who is to come will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Well, that's clearly not water baptism, right? That's something remarkably different. And I think that's what Paul's getting at in this text. The baptism of the Spirit is in view. In other words, Paul is talking about our conversion. Now this conversion, this is the event in which we are cleansed by the Spirit and brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. This is what Paul says earlier in Colossians 1. Uh, you, you should have Colossians 1 and 2 open. Uh, just flip back maybe one page and look at verse uh, 13. Paul says, He, that is Christ, has delivered, that is the Lord, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So by virtue of the resurrection, applied by the Holy Spirit, you and I have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Not only do we have new hearts, but we have been cleansed. We've been washed. We've been made new again. We've been made clean again. This conversion, this picture of darkness to light is similar to regeneration the fact that we have a new heart, and it takes place at the same time as regeneration, but it's a different aspect of our salvation, right? It's, it's not only that we have a new heart, but we've been transferred to a new kingdom. We are raised with the one who was raised by God. That's what it says here in verse 12, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Resurrection Sunday, today, it reminds us that our eternal life is rooted and grounded in the life of Christ. His Spirit now cleanses us and gives us a new heart. The promise of the prophet Ezekiel is being fulfilled right here. So if you were with us in equipping groups a couple of weeks ago, you read this passage. Listen to verse 25 of Ezekiel 36. The prophet says from the Lord, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. There's the baptism of the Spirit. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. There's regeneration. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. There's Colossians 2.6. As you have received the Lord, so walk in him. You'll be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we now have new hearts 
Because of the resurrection of Christ, we have now been cleansed, baptized by the Spirit, brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. But there's even more than that. So if you're still taking notes, number three this morning. Number three, uh, we have justification and a victorious Savior. We have justification and a victorious Savior. Not only do we have the mind of Christ, not only do we have union with Him, regeneration and the baptism of the Spirit, we also have justification before God. We also have a victorious Savior over our, all of our enemies. Our guilt is removed and our enemy has been defeated. Let's pick up about halfway through verse 13. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul tells us what he tells the church in Colossae, that because of the work of Christ and proven by the fact of his resurrection, if you are in him, all of your trespasses are forgiven. God has canceled the record of debt that you had. That canceling of debt was not free, however. There was a cost involved. The wrath of God had to be poured out. The debt had to be paid. The just God of the universe cannot be unjust. He can't merely erase debts and act like they didn't exist. And we definitely have debt. Every one of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. Our hearts bear witness against us when we do wrong. The law bears witness against us that we have done wrong. The world often accuses you, sometimes rightly, on your hypocrisy that you say you believe one thing and yet live another way. The enemy reminds you of your sins and mine. He's called the accuser for a reason. And behind it all, we know deep down in our souls that the creator of heaven and earth, the maker of all things, is righteous. He's holy. He's just. So how can our debts be canceled? How can our transgressions be forgiven? God nails our debts to the cross. Christ paid our debt when he went to the cross. And the resurrection, his rising from the grave, is the receipt that our debt was paid in full. In Christ, we are justified before God. Christ's resurrection proves to you and me, whenever we wander away from confidence, whenever we deal and wrestle with doubts of our faith, Christ's resurrection proves that we now stand innocent and righteous before God because there is no more debt for you and for me. There is no more debt for those who are in Christ. It has been nailed to the cross and paid in full. 
Finally, it says, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him or in Christ. I love what John Piper says. There's a a little book that I feel like not many people have read that I would recommend to you. It's called Spectacular Sins. And John Piper, in the last chapter of the book, talks about how the greatest sin of the world has to be the delivering of the Son of God to a cross. That Pontius Pilate and the religious leaders, the Jews and the Gentiles, are all stand, they all stand condemned for the greatest sin in human history. That the sinless one would be condemned to die a criminal's death. And behind all of that, behind the, the schemes of the world, behind the desires of the self-righteous, behind the, the desire for self-preservation in the heart of Pontius Pilate, there's an enemy, the devil, Satan, who believes he has triumphed over God. And so I love that John Piper calls the cross of Christ the suicide of Satan. In the precise place that the devil believed that he would triumph over Jesus, he merely bruised the heel of the conquering king. His head would be crushed when death was put to death. The resurrection proved that the devil had been conquered and bound up and that victory was once and for all the Lord's. So these rulers and authorities here in Colossians 2 were disarmed by Christ and they are probably emblematic of demonic forces that stand behind all of the sinful, wicked schemes of the world. Now, in Christ, the devil and his demons may have a kind of power in this world, but they have been defeated. Death has lost its sting in the victory of Jesus. Now they are put to shame. The church of the resurrected Lord will be and is the church triumphant over the schemes of the adversary. We know that the gates of hell will not stand against it because our Lord told us just as much. So we celebrate this morning the good news of the gospel. That resurrection has come and and every Sunday we get to enjoy the good news being reminded for us once again that Resurrection Sunday and every Sunday recalibrates our lives to this glorious task. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Refuse to be deceived by the false teachings of the world. Refuse to be taken captive by godless philosophy and Wickedness parading around as wisdom. Abound in gratefulness and thanksgiving that your life, our life, the life of the church is resurrection life given as a gift from the one who died and was raised on our behalf. We receive his mind. We receive union with him. We receive new hearts. We receive the cleansing baptism of the spirit. We receive justification before the throne and we receive an unshakable hope in his victory. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. God in heaven, we proclaim and confess what the scriptures proclaim and confess, and that is that you are victorious. In you, 
there is life because you are the God of the living. You are the source of all life. And you have conquered death through your life. We praise you, Jesus. We worship you for the work that you have accomplished, for the love that you have for us, sinners and traitors and ones who have great debt to pay that we could never, ever pay. And yet you canceled our record of debt. You nailed it to the cross and you bore the wrath of God in your body. You, the one who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We stand before the Lord. We stand before his throne now justified clothed in your righteousness. We now live this life with your mind and access to it by the Holy Spirit. We've been cleansed from the inside out by the baptism of the Spirit. We have new hearts that are soft towards the things of God. Lord, you have given us many wonderful gifts by virtue of your death and your resurrection. And we now have hope that the life of the resurrected Lord of glory will be ours now in one sense, but later in its fullness. One day we will be like you, for we will see you as you are. We're children of God now, longing for the day of your appearing. We say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.